Incarnation, it's the it's very real. Yeah, I really don't like you. No, I know, I feel it. <laughs> I it feels real. Good, I'm glad it matches <laughs> yeah. what I really feel. No, you're presenting I, your authentic self. It's not that I don't like you. I find you to be strangely irritating. Irritating, but I love you. Sure. At the same time. You're like a brother to me. Yeah. In a way. But your least favorite brother. My brother that I think needs the most help <laughs> and <laughs> parenting and redirection. <laughs> like, it's 10.20. What time were you supposed to be here? Are we already recording or is this? Yeah, are we're you recording, just riffing. I can, already, I, can, I can edit. I can do whatever. This is my fucking this podcast. This is going to be the most you difficult. You were supposed to be here. First of all, no one says, let's do a podcast at 9 p.m. Mm. Like, what? Are, you're a father Ridiculous. of two. Yeah. Okay. Terrible. And you're like, yeah, I'll be there at 9 p.m. It's 1020. <laughs> what were you doing? I I do this, actually. I run two shows. I run, and one of them is The People's Party with Talib Kweli. And our guest, Russell Peters, good comedian, but went super long and knows a lot about hip-hop. And the, it was our longest episode ever. Oh, lucky me. Sorry. <laughs> you okay. got... I forgive you only slightly, but I do think it's so it's such a dude thing to be like it's to be fifteen it's fifteen minutes past the point of when you're supposed to be there and be like, Oh hey right. hey oh uh, actually it's gonna be like thing. a little bit uh. just the whole way I dealt with it in general, you send your own text and you look at it and you go like I'm typing these words and you just think like people see through this. I'm such a fucking idiot. Yeah, no, like, no one she, like yeah. she, she's not falling for this. And it, it it I was so good when I was like 19 or 20 at you know that was a time when like you know <laughs> white male privilege wasn't really in the lexicon, right? And I was so good at being a privileged white male who was charming and like <laughs> could just get out of shit and like oh, you know, like be sweet to your college professor and then like be like, oh, at the very end of a sweet conversation where you're asking questions, be like, oh, can I turn my paper in next week? <laughs> I was just like so good at it. And what you realize is like just like everything in life, there's muscle memory. You start to form like a muscle memory for that. And then, and then as an adult, when you've aged out of that era or ought to have and you try and bullshit, you go like, oh, my God, like seeing this from the outside in, I'm fucking terrible. And that was tonight. I felt terrible. <laughs> I do. I do. This, you're one of those people where you get away with being an hour and a half late to a professional thing because when you show up, you're very charming. Not and, anymore. And nice and and sweet, and you make jokes about it, and then you, you and then you have a big, <laughs> you have a huge head and a huge smile, big giant head, a giant head, and it's like, oh, he's just like a dumb golden retriever, right? Like he's just a big old dumb idiot, right? Like, what oh, am I gonna I do? I'm not gonna be mad at him. It's like getting mad at a dog for peeing on the carpet. What are you going to do? You're going to be mad at the dog? It's a dog. Yeah. That's you. You're a dog. No. I, I mean, I think that's pretty <laughs> accurate. Like, I've had therapy 
where the therapist has said like, oh, you really are a lot like a golden retriever, but not not for the reasons you displayed. But oh, she meant it like in a nice way. No, it wasn't nice at all. She <laughs> was she was like, you really thrive off approval in a way that is toxic. Like you need so much validation that you you're like a pet. <laughs> see, I, I'm not, I don't see that same therapist, but the point was there. I mean, his point was valid. It wasn't delivered too gently, but. Welcome to Globe Thoughting. It's great to be back another week. I'm your host, Chelsea Frank. With me is such a crucial figure in my life because there would be no Globe Thoughting. There would be no travel writing, and there really wouldn't be no like chaotic travel vibe persona of mine without this man. So I do, while I hate him a little bit, I love him too because I really owe, I really do owe you a lot. Um, with me is Steve Bramucci, editor of Uproxx Life, author, travel writer, pain in my motherfucking ass, and married to the woman that I will eventually steal. Clearly. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. So glad you penciled me in and managed to Jonathan, make it at 10, 1030 at night. 1023 and we are rolling. Who's with We're your kids? On. They're uh, they're with their mom. Yeah, mm-hmm. doing all the work. Doing all the work. Doing all. Well, I'm here, hustling, Party, drinking tequila. Um, I I don't want it to get buried because you said other mean stuff, which we can also get to. <laughs> don't worry, it'll but never get buried. I am so proud to have given you your start in travel, which really came like from you wrote a tweet about travel. Oh, no. I did not write a tweet about travel. I wrote a tweet that was, uh, my biggest regret in life is that I haven't thrown up on more dicks. Yes. And that is what prompted you to go, you know, this girl should be writing travel I think she's got something. I think she's got something. It wasn't even, but what was happening at the time, so I know Matt Lieb. Yeah. You went on his podcast mm-hmm. that week, and mm-hmm. he had retweeted that joke. And so mm-hmm. I think you probably were looking at his timeline. And sure. Like it was the perfect storm. I had I was doing like a satirical travel blog thing. It was the perfect storm of circumstances. But you literally just saw that and tweeted at me, and you said, hey, how about you come like use your travel whatever at Uproxx? I think you would be good. And that, to be honest. My li- it really did change my life. You know, I'm going to say something radical about travel and about life and about entertainment, which is that you know we because because one side of the human being is like wants to be egalitarian we we want to expunge nepotism from wherever it exists on the other hand like nepotism sometimes is just people following their own taste it just happens that some assholes follow their own taste cuz they're like i really like my kid or my nephew so that's my taste right i was following my taste and saying like oh, this person's funny, and I think they would be funny. I think it seems like they could apply that to travel. And I was right. I mean, you've built a beautiful career for yourself, and you've built this incredible lane, and um, you know, you've written hilarious pieces for me and others. You wrote a hysterical, hysterical piece uh, I sent you to uh, Swingers Resort. Oh, my God. And you wrote a piece where you framed everything – away from the swinging and towards a fried chicken cook-off that the resort had. Do you remember this? I mean, that's what was crazy was their whole angle was like, come for a a jerk chicken making competition. And I was like, yeah, that's what these bitches want to do is Uh. fucking cook here. The whole thing, there's dicks and vaginas everywhere. And I'm like, 
nobody cares what I have to say. This Jew from Calabasas says about jerk chicken in, in Jamaica. Like, right. no one wants my take on that. <laughs> it was crazy that that's what they were but pushing. You, I don't know. I just always found that you have done such a good job finding angles, knowing who you are. Um, we, I, it's hilarious because our first conflict ever where our dynamic, and to be clear for your listeners, like, our dynamic is I say stuff <laughs> – and then you say in a super charming way, like, no, that's actually not how it's going to go. And then for some reason, like some Jedi magic, I go like, oh, yeah, for sure. We'll do it your way. And our first, the thing that established this dynamic is <laughs> here you were like an upstart, hungry travel writer. And your first piece came out and you didn't like the way I had like manipulated a line that had a joke you liked. And you said this great line. It was it was so condescending <laughs> that the flower inside me, like every part of me that had blossomed where I was like, I feel like I'm kind of a mentor to this young woman. She's super talented. I discovered her on Twitter. The flower inside me just like wilted. I was like, holy shit. This woman is is has already changed our power dynamic. You go, <laughs> it was so good. We were on the phone and you go. So I don't know if you know this. But when someone who who is a comedian makes a joke, their writing is very particular uh, because they want it to be delivered that way. Yeah, you fucked up my joke (laughs) for the sake of grammar. I was like, did you just explain the concept, not just of like jokes, (laughs) but like the literal concept of humor and how it intersects with the written word to me? In, in this incredibly painful way, I was like, all right, she's a fascinating one, and I think this is going to work. Okay, to be fair, because you're making me sound like a fucking monster. To be fair, <laughs> you changed a joke, like the wording of a joke, to make it so painfully unfunny. But yeah. The grammar was better because that's what people want to read. They want to read, you know, I see that this, I love this salted, watered-down joke because now it's grammatically perfect. That's what we all want. So, yeah, I had to start in the basics I don't with know. you. I had to go, you know. I don't know. know if you've ever heard how humor works. Like, I don't know if you really get, like, it's called a joke. But what you do Maybe. is you write a funny part. There's, like, a setup so and then a punchline. Right. And why don't you just stay away from my joke? It was so good. I was like, this, I think, fuck you. No, I was like, (laughs) I've been around long enough to be like, oh, this person might turn into a superstar. Because they're like, because they know enough to be like, this is who I am. I'm sorry. Like, get it right or not. Well, because I was was a comedy writer, like a stand up for, I'm like, I'm not going to like put bad jokes on the internet. But then honestly, you've worn me down and now I just let you do it. Whatever. I'm like, take my, I don't care if it's a free trip to Fiji, take it, make your stupid lame dad jokes. Ruin the whole thing. Yeah, your punctuation. (laughs) I get that. That's so Now there's a comma in the right place. Oh my God. Uh So annoying. The comma is meant, when people read it, I want them to, the comma (laughs) is a way for them to read it so they know how to joke about it. Whatever. Then the second time is you tried to fire me that one time because you couldn't do your job right. And I, you tried to fire me, and I ended up yelling at you so much that you ended up giving me more work and a raise. Do you remember that? I mean, it sounds right. It it doesn't, I don't feel disconnected from that story. This is a lesson. I don't hear that and go like, there's no chance that's me. That's, 
it's it was so perfect. We got in this like huge argument, and you tried to fire me, tried to get me off, of, and I was like, oh hell no, bitch! And oh, we just so went good. at it, and I was like. Here's why not only are you not going to fire me, but you're going to give me a raise and more work. Ugh. Thank you. Thank you. I love that. I love – I actually, you know, I love being battle-tested with people. Mm, yeah. I wonder if there's a, a, a terrible part of me that, like, is let's get one conflict on the books because I just love being battle-tested with writers, with, with friends, with partners to just go, like, okay, now we have something. Now we know, like, now we have something in the past that we can joke about and roast about and go, like, oh, this thing is built to last a little longer than. Yeah. You and I can get through something. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I also, I just think it's important that if someone wants to call me their boss, they remember who really is the boss. <laughs> I mean. I, if <laughs> I'm the Don Pop. That okay? is why you have never had any of your other editors reach out to me and be like, what is it like <laughs> working? I would be, I would say to them. Well, first of all, have you heard of a concept called humor? Because here's how it works. I mean, the fact that you're even saying humor is so Herbie. Like, you're so <laughs> embarrassing. Like, I'm so embarrassed for you. It's so bad. Um, truly, though, I, all jokes aside, I know we like to, like, be mean to each other and roast each other. I, I am very grateful to you because Thank I you. didn't even know this was a job. I, I honestly, I didn't have any idea about any of this. And mm. you really did introduce me to everything. You gave me my first start in all this so i have to give credit where credit you really did change my life in a big way so yeah you're a pain in the ass and you're a big piece of shit but i love sure. you so much and i really appreciate you yeah yeah it's a balance that's, that's about a, as much a, as i was that, able to fine. give you you know a, I, I had to i had to throw those digs in at, there at the end there yeah, I had to do it, it looked like you were really having to force your oh. way through it all that nice <laughs> stuff like i just saw like the second half of the sentence i was like she's working now this I, is Whoever I, your advertisers are, please know Chelsea has earned her money because she just gave all these compliments. Oh. I saw that she was like, this is not fun. I love this, you so this, much. This but has, you're, you know that you're just like. This has become such, a job now. You just need a personal assistant. Like, that's the that's biggest true. thing. You need a that's personal true. assistant. You need somebody who's going to, like, do the stuff that that's you true. don't like to do for that's you true. so that no one has to put up with how ADHD you are. Which yeah. is, I say that with love because I'm also ADHD. Sure. Okay. Let's get to the 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 actual let's episode. Do, yeah, I want to hear this. So, no, no. First, what first the hell? Isn't this a show about travel? Let's get into it. Yeah, yeah. it's not just a show about analyzing how Our much of a... Workplace dynamics. How much of a fuckboy you are. Yeah. Um, so, my opening quest. Now, I'm really I'm actually ready. very excited because you've been at this game a while. I've been around. Since you're, you were born in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. um, what is your most epic diarrhea story while traveling? It's so good because when I, I I actually am a fan of this show and when I listened I was like oh this is I had to, I, at first you know the first episode I didn't know that this was going to be a feature talking about defecating dramatically that it was going to be a feature rather than a bug I was like oh this might just be the the first episode that's come and now I know like this, no, is, this is the you're on balls. this wave you're like this is like the core of the show you sent me a run of show today yeah and it. Question one was like, and then uh, diarrhea stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, honestly, it really is the old, it's a great icebreaker. Because once you talk about having like painful diarrhea with someone, what yeah. can't you talk about, yeah. frankly? Well, I'll tell you, um, I, it's, I thought for a second that I didn't have one and I was so proud of myself. I was like, wow, that me just means like, and I have a terrible diarrhea story. So when <laughs> I, when I was 19, 
I dropped out of college. This was how I started as a travel writer. I dropped out of college. I didn't have any more money. I was gonna, if I wanted to go back to college, I was gonna have to take out tons of loans. This is in the boom of the college loan era where like, I don't have a co-signer. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any job. And they were like, we'll give you $100,000 to go to a private school on just you like signing your name on a piece of paper. Cause we'll, we know we can chase you till you die. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm not quite ready for that. I drop out of college. And I start hitchhiking around the country, which you're right. Like, I am terribly old and decrepit. But even in 1999, which is like, yeah, four weeks before you're born or something. Shut up. Uh, even in 1999, like, that shit, no one hitchhiked. And I was like, okay, I'm going to hitchhike. There was also a thing that is going to sound insane, which is that the Greyhound bus would, for, for $99, you could buy a pass to be on the Greyhound bus for three months in a row. Wherever the Greyhound bus goes, you could you could take as many rides as you want. Because I was the only human alive who was taking the Greyhound as a recreation, right? Like that, no one does that. Yeah. So where I start, did you start out? I started out in San Diego, okay. where I dropped out of college. Went up to San Francisco. Went out uh, out all the way to New York on a famous bus that's still running called the Green Tortoise. Mm-hmm which is this wild hippie bus that leads out of San Francisco. And then I just hitchhiked and, and bounced around the country on the Greyhound. And so I was doing this, and, and you know, for those who don't know, I'm also a food writer and deal a lot in food, which is pretty natural for anyone who's in travel. And I'm really interested in cooking. And the way I got interested in cooking is I was bouncing around the country. I'm staying on couches, friends of friends and, and old acquaintances, whatever. And I felt like I had to bring something to the table. And so my diarrhea story is actually, I get to Boston, and I'm staying with, like, some old Boston Italians, which is, like, just like there's old New York Italian families. There's old Boston classic Italians. And I was like, oh, I'm going to make you guys this red sauce. And I don't know what I did wrong. (laughs) I don't know what mistake I made because I was so new to cooking. But it was this elderly couple, and I made them an Italian red sauce, And then I, like, went out for a stroll. And in 1999, Boston was, like, completely – there were holes all over the city for what was called the Big Dig, which was this insane, uh, like, internal project that they were working on that had taken 40 years. I think it's probably still going on, right? It was this insane project. And so there was construction all over the city. And I had only eaten my own food the whole day. And I felt my body going into, like, that horrible place where you're like, not only do I not have, like, uh, five minutes, I don't have seven seconds. And I I did. I was, uh, because of my own food poisoning, I was, like, pooping across (laughs) an entire construction site and then, like, got to the porta potty There was not – there was no toilet paper in there. There was nothing in there. And, you know, you had to – take off your underwear and clean yourself up and then leave the underwear that underwear is dead to me then you're like that didn't do the trick take off your socks these socks are dead to me this is what you were looking for the right socks? you're appalled by wait, this wait did you wipe with the socks yes. oh my god that's honestly actually a really good tip but did you, i still wait, you were shitting across the construction site so you were like popping a squat and shitting I mean, like every yeah, it was few a, feet. It was an uncontrolled situation. Oh You're looking God. at me so grossed no, out I'm, and appalled. I'm not grossed I feel out. like, like I, I feel for you. This I is really entrapment. Because no, like so because when all your cool Hollywood friends, when Brie and when Taylor. Uh, Taylor, when they tell theirs, and they're these beautiful, charming women, it's like wow, that 
poop can be so funny and charming. And when I tell mine, you're like, that is fucking foul. No, I'm just imagining Your body you. is no. rotten inside. You need to <laughs> never leave your oh, house honey. ever again. Oh, honey, you told a joke. It's so sweet that I you know, know what humor I, is I now. feel like I'm getting it. You're I'm getting starting it. to get it. It's not all grammar, is it? It's coming along. Wow. Okay, no, it's not that I find it so disgusting. It's like I'm imagining you at this construction site just like shit, popping a squat and shitting Horrible. all over the place. Horrible. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And then I had so to. So you gave food poisoning to those people, too. Clearly, like, and and what the idea was was like, I'm going out to have a night on the town in Boston, and then I'll come back and crash on your couch. I it took me months to think like, <laughs> if I was in that bad of shape, those elderly digestive systems must have been in trouble. Oh my god, you killed two <laughs> old can people. Can you imagine them like coming home and being like? This guy, this guy, this is his conception of being a considerate traveler. This guy came to our house. He took our fucking groceries, which we paid for, and we had at our home. He made us a pasta dish, which made us deathly ill, and then he left the next day. This is the wonderful house guest. And look at you now. Ugh. Thriving. Driving. Driving. You haven't I'm had a bad shit story since 1999? I'm so no, proud of you. No, I know. I do well. You've I, traveled like the entire planet. How have well, you not had a bad diarrhea story since then? My system um, is check. really tough. And it says, like, my imagining of it is like when you see like those Mucinex uh, advertisements of like bacteria talking. That my bacteria are – there's so many inside my body and just tapeworms hanging out that, like, something foul comes in and they're like, look, there's no space for you in yeah, here. We just – yeah, we just can't do it. We've been in here for a long time. We The only other one that I had – this is not a shitting story, but it is wonderfully dramatic – is that I volunteered at an orphanage in Uganda and I'm terribly allergic to dust. <laughs> And they walked me in to where they get their their food was being stored, and it was corn. It was maize. It was like full kernel corn. Mm -hmm. And I, I I would never have thought it, but it was corn that was completely covered in dust. It had just been there a long time, and it wasn't in a silo. It was in a wooden building, and so it was getting really dusty. And someone had turned it into like a porridge, and I ate porridge because I was working at the orphanage, and I got allergies from the inside out <laughs> and i expelled everything in every direction for four days that's a pretty good story too wait where did horrible. you i i worked at a orphanage in uganda too in wakiso this was in jinja oh cool i went to jinja too i yeah. i got um a whole slew of, of illnesses in jinja for what it's worth i mean i i so i bought a car in uganda and traveled around all of east africa in a car I bought the worst car ever, which was such a great accidental decision because, you know, Kenya, Tanzania, Mozambique, I was constantly meeting people who were outside of the tourist network because yeah. they were having to fix my shitty car. And I was meeting them <laughs> on the term of a local, right? Like one thing that I have taken from that, which I always encourage people, is like do something. It doesn't, you know, you're going to be spending money naturally, we spend money as we live our lives, but do something when you travel that exists outside of the tourist network. I always get haircuts. I get a lot of bad haircuts. You've already commented on this bad haircut, um, but I get a lot of bad haircuts. I have a weird shaped head, and I, uh, but I'll get a haircut wherever I go to travel because it's like 
that's something that's not tourist driven. Yeah. And so people, if they're being nice to me, they're being nice to me in a more genuine sense and they're not, it's tricky. I think sometimes tourists come home from a destination and go, everyone was so nice. And then you look at them and go, okay, but how many people's income was reliant on that? Just right. be, be a little bit cautious before you like glamorize the niceness of people. Or just go to the grocery store. Yeah. Like, I love going to the grocery store. It's so much fun. Send a a letter. Not because, like, letter writing is a dying art, although the case could be made for that, too. But because, like... Go to the post office. Yeah, be outside of the tourist network as much as you can. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, Okay, the second opening quest. What's the most... Oh, and this, I'm sure you have one because you're so annoying. What is the... (laughs) By the way, by the way, Gen Z would love this. They would love any any worker being so mean to their boss. They would. Lo- they'd good. be like, That's good. they'd be like, yeah, fuck the man. You're gonna you're get all, man. You're gonna get a whole new audience. They're gonna be like, yeah, for sure. This She's is. Like, I just want you to know, this is a like rebellious not show. How you should speak to your boss in any no. capacity. However. But if you can get away with it. Well, if you can get away with it, and if it's Steve Vermucci, absolutely, how you should talk to your boss. Um. So the second opening question is what is the most epic fight you've gotten into with, like, a partner? It could be romantic, a friend, oh, a loved one, family, anyone. Okay, good. <laughs> Such a good one. So, you know, what you referenced earlier was that I sent you on your first press junket, mm-hmm. which is, for those who don't know, is, is when a destination or a hotel or, you know, a series of hotels or a tourism board or whatever flies a writer out. Now, obviously, they're hoping for positive coverage, but generally there's ways that the outlet can... um, It's a very murky issue. It's a very... It used to be complicated. It's less complicated now because no one has the budget to not accept junkets, Mm -hmm. even the New York Times. The New York Times... Oh, my God. Have they started doing that? Well, so for decades... They they were so anti-press trips. Right. And when I worked for a website, about.com, writing travel, which was owned by the New York Times the editor was very clear to me, don't tell them that you've taken press trips because they don't even let our employees write about travel if they've taken whatever, whatever. But the New York Times has funded their famous 52 project, 52 places project with press trips for about a decade now. And that's how they do it. So everyone's in this quagmire and it can be, I mean, there's problems with it. It's not perfect by any means. But at the same time, you know, generally, if, if you're writing for an outlet of prestige, you can say, like, hey, listen, you know, we're professionals. If this whole thing goes side, first of all, it's the editor's job to vet it, right? We really think there's a positive story here that we can tell. Most people, you know, don't go to a site like Uproxx to say, like, hey, honey, here's where we don't want to go. They don't need us to be critics anyway. So it's the editor's job to vet the place. And then you go and you can feel comfortable telling a positive story because that's kind of what we want. But it's a murky hole, intoxicating world because people also show you a better travel product sometimes. They know you're a traveler. I was was once on a junket at the same time as Joe Nocera, the New York Times famous business columnist, was taking his girlfriend to the same property. And he was writing a travel story. Different type of nepotism, right? Because he had gotten, you know, he'd worked for the Times for a long time and surely pressured the travel editor to give him a story. Because he wanted to take his girlfriend on a thing for free. Joe, if you hear this, I, I like you. But I remember he came up to me and he goes, uh, hey, you're a travel writer. You're on a junket, huh? And I was like, yeah. And I go, you're Joe Nocera. You write for the New York Times. He's like, yeah. I was like, you guys don't take junkets. He goes, I know. And then he turns away. He's like, I got to go, though. I was like, why? 
And he goes, I'm going to go tell them that I'm Joe Nocera from the New York Times because I don't want you getting better treatment or a better room than me. It was a it was a fly in resort where they fly you in on a helicopter. And he was like, I'm going now because I don't want you to get. And, and so at that point, the idea of taking free free room is completely obliterated. Right. Like right. now he's still going to get the preferential treatment. New York Times was just a bunch of suckers and paid for the trip. Yeah. So anyway, press trips are a murky world, but one of the most bizarre and fun press trips I ever took was with Sandals Resort. I was working at a glossy magazine at that magazine because it was it's Orange County and it was a very high price point. They we used to get press trip invitations in wooden boxes like people were whining and dining us just to go on their free trip. And it was the opening of Sandals and Shaggy played. And I'll tell you something, and this is the God's honest truth. If you want to make $100, $500, $1,000, you walk up to someone, you go, I'm going to take you to a show. You're going to think it's going to be whack, and it's going to be the best fucking concert you've ever seen. And you take them to Shaggy. This motherfucker murdered it. I've never seen someone murder an audience so hard. He murdered it so hard that the daughter of the owner of all of Sandals, like the Sandals founder's Paris Hilton version mm-hmm. came up on stage and started grinding with him during the concert. And you could literally see her father in the box being like, fuck shaggy wrecked. It. He came Sean Paul, who was one of the biggest stars in the world at that time came on after shaggy. And it was the most anticlimactic sh- thing ever. And Sean Paul's great. Oh my God. But this was in the Caribbean. Shaggy just murders it. So anyway, you should do PR for shaggy. It was insane. It was insane. So anyway, uh, coming out of that show, um, we're at the Sandals, and I was with a girlfriend, and the relationship was deteriorating. And everywhere, when it's not Shaggy playing, everywhere at Sandals, like, you turn a corner, and there's, like, a steel drum, like, playing My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. And then you turn another corner, and there's, like, a dude who's, like, handing flowers to you. And then you get back to your room, and there's, like, a turndown service. Like, the tub is already full. And our relationship was just, like, crumbling. And it was just, like, truly falling apart. And we get finally, like, the final straw. We're, like, breaking up on. And I check out one of those um, catamarans. And they'll let you just take one. I know nothing about sailing. It has a sail. It's only sail powered. And I was like, yeah, I'll take this. And they were like, okay, take it. (laughs) And then that was it. I walk off with a catamaran and her. And we're, like, breaking up on the catamaran. Oh, my God, what? And then she, and we're in Sandals, like the romance capital of the world, roman- a resort that's literally built on being romantic. And we're breaking up, and it's terrible, and we're sad, and we're heartbroken, and we're angry, and all this and stuff. And you're, like, in the middle of the sea. And, she, and we're in the middle of the ocean, <laughs> and she gets diarrhea. <laughs> Horrifying. And she, she's embarrassed because we're breaking up, and, she's, and she has to drag behind the catamaran and... And go out into the ocean because that's the only way to handle this situation with any humility. I mean, any, any like, yeah, just handle it at all. I lost the word there. But that's the only way to mitigate this situation. So she's dragging from this catamaran. And right about this time, I realize I know nothing about sailing. <laughs> I, I mean, like, not, as much as I know about comedy, that much about sailing. Wow. And I'm, I fear for your safety in this situation. I know. And I was like... I just like thought I don't there's no chance I can get us back to shore like it's not even in play that I could get us back to shore I was like we're this is (laughs) and then a couple of like 
this was in Antigua, and a couple of Antiguan guys come out in a boat, and they're like, we're going to drag you home. And I was like, that was the right call. Um, and she was able to get her system together a little bit. And we broke up on the trip, and I wrote uh, this press junket piece about breaking up at the most romantic place on earth. Oh, my God. It's great. And it won me the Orange County Travel Award for the best travel story of the year. Oh, my God. And really, like, started a lot of my career. Like, really got things moving in a cool way. And she was like, fuck you. Yeah. Did you put the part about her getting diarrhea I didn't. It was was a family magazine. I didn't mention. This is the first time I've told this. You gave her breakup diarrhea. That's the worst. I will tell you, because she and I traveled together for about 14 months around the world, and I do a lot of podcasts. Uh, I'm just successful enough to get asked to do podcasts by people who, like, I text. Like, hey, I'll come on your show. Like I did with you. I was yeah. like, when do I get to come on your show? <laughs> and then finally you're like, oh, well, if I want more travel stories, I guess. I like, why don't you come on? I just had a scratch. Why don't you come late to my house? Mm, and mm, so I get, sure. I go on a lot of podcasts because of that horrible, like, pressure that I put on people. And, <laughs> and. I end up telling stories that that mention my travel time with her, and she constantly calls me and fact checks me and tells me how I disinclude her from stories. Here's one that she's the center of. I'm sure she'll hear this podcast. Wait, you guys are still friends. We're still friends. Well, we won't be after this one. That's you know what? Who among us hasn't had breakup diarrhea? Breakup yeah. diarrhea is its own brand it's of awful. One, I feel one of for the you, best honey. Diarrheas. It's a cleanse. You're cleansing the relationship through your bowels. Mm-hmm. It really is. I'm. I, no one's judging you, honey. We're all with you. We've all been there. <laughs> Maybe not on a catamaran in Antigua, but we've all gone. The shits when a guy's. Why'd you guys break uh, up? Tell me, what's the juice? We. Because you're so annoying. I'm so annoying. Yeah. I'm so annoying. <laughs> okay. You know, it's so interesting to talk to somebody who, who has been through the travel influencing era of now, and also started in travel writing back in the in the yesteryear. Like, no, but it's really. <laughs> I say to a guy who has bleached blonde tips right now. just watching. You have legit blonde tips. Watching that question formulate in your tongue, you were like, I I don't know how deep I want to cut this guy. And you were like, no, cut him deeper. No, it's not that. It's just like, so you're really old. You know, you're geriatric. Geriatric, almost. No, but it's interesting because it's like, Travel now is so, I imagine, just completely different landscape than it was back in the day. Because yeah. you were doing, like, vagabond shit. You were doing, like, hitchhiking around and, like, had no money and was, like, here, there, and everywhere, giving mm-hmm. old people diarrhea. And, like, you were you were doing it, like, backpacker vibes. Mm-hmm. And now it's just so different. Like, it's yeah. the landscape. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like back then versus how it is now and in and in through your eyes, through your perspective? Yeah. I mean, first of all, you know, I'm also, our company, Uproxx, is, is owned by Warner Music Group. And when it comes to music, I run two shows connected to music. When it comes to music, you know, the second you say, like, this new shit is bad or is not what it's supposed to be, you're corny. Yeah. And I was told that by someone in the older generation, like an older generation of rappers said like the second – I asked him what he thought of a certain young rapper, and he was like, the second you start dissing the new shit just for being new, you're corny. And I I think that's probably true about travel too. And so if I I do that, you know, know that I I understand – that at that point I'm – I'm saying, okay, I'm corny, but this is what I think, right. which is fine. I mean, old people are all going to do that at some point. Um, 
You're also not old. Can we just say you're not old? You're just. I've been old. around the track. You're just weathered. Uh, you know? <laughs> weathered. Yeah. <I'm> seasoned. <laughs> seasoned. Seasoned. There you go. But so here's what I'll say. I mean, it was it was a really fascinating time because first of all, you know, we didn't have the means to monetize travel at, in our twenties. You know, I traveled to 35, 36 countries before I ever got paid to travel to a country. I had traveled to, you know, 40 countries before I ever took a junket. And so, you know, because of that, things were a little more, as you say, like slapdash, vagabond, out of control. Plus, you know, the emphasis, the weight, the way that we spent money was different, right? Like I spent money on going as many places as I could. So when I stayed like in Tanzania, I, I stayed at a nunnery. I stayed with nuns for a dollar a night in Tanzania. When I, I once stayed at a hostel in Guatemala where they actually, it was a cell that they locked you into at night and you had to knock to get out of your room in the morning. What? And yeah, I mean, I was staying at play because I, because I wanted that extra three quarters because that could get me something else, some other cultural experience. It was all about getting to the next place. Yeah. And getting to the next place and traveling. Um, And, and you know, the funny thing is like as much as my generation is, is after every other generation of like, I heard, I heard one of my contemporaries say this on a podcast recently of saying like, look, you're sitting with your phone in the guest room and you're clicking away and you feel like your friends could be right next to you because you're communicating with them on Instagram, whatever. That's not travel. And I heard them try and, you know, disengage that from travel. And, and whether or not that point holds any water, the fact of the matter is we were doing that in 1999 too about the Lonely Planet. In fact, you can hear me, like you can read online, it's still archived somewhere, me writing this massive hit piece as a 22-year-old about people who use the Lonely Planet. Because that was our, at that time, that was cheating. If you're not walking around to people, at that time, like the way we approached it was, if you're not walking around to people and saying like, hey, where do I go? And getting their answer on the ground, you're cheating. Because okay. that, that formed what was called Lonely Planet formed in Thailand, which Lonely Planet was so deeply tied to the Thailand travel boom. Like it really, that it formed a thing in Thailand called the Banana Pancake Trail, which is that someone with the Lonely Planet would, would go into town and at, in Thailand breakfast is typically a soup, Thai breakfast soup. And they'd go like, they were typically British at that time. And they'd be like, oh, mate, like, I don't want like, the soup thing. is like, Could I get something else, right? What is it? Uh, maybe like a pancake. Do you, got, you got a pancake? And then the Thai people would be like, yeah, pancake. And then they had an excess of bananas and we'll throw, oh, it's like a banana pancake, isn't it? It's like cultural because it's like got bananas and we don't have those in England, whatever. And because of that, every single guest house in Thailand started serving banana pancakes. And it became called the Banana Pancake Trail because you would see what was called the Yellow Bible. The Thailand uh, Lonely Planet was yellow. You would see the Yellow Bible, and that's what the Thais called it, the Yellow Bible, someone with their nose in a guidebook, and you could get banana pancakes all the way down the country. And so for us, like my generation of travelers, we were judgmental of that, and that's not true travel. And then in the 2010s, there was something that that's not true travel if you do it this way. And mm -hmm. now there's this. This isn't true travel. And 
the fact of the matter is, like, do I believe that we should all be as intrepid as we can? Do I believe that, that relying on the computers in our pocket makes for the most real and raw experience? No, I, I, I do believe that. I, I don't believe that the computer helps. I do believe that we should spend as much time away from it as we can. But <laughs> do I believe that, that you clicking away on your phone for 20 minutes at the end of a long day because you need to deprogram is any different than me putting a few quarters in an in a internet slot machine in 1999? No, I don't think that's any different, right. right? So it's like standing in judgment of anyone over how they travel is, is generally shitty. Although I would like to see people reach out and connect more. But I think anyone from any generation would say that. Like, oh, we, we could have a more real connection on the road if we just didn't have our face in anything. Whether it's a lonely planet or a fucking newspaper in 1899 or a, or a telephone now, right? Like, yeah. if, if we put down any sort of mechanism that we use to not seem like a lonely weirdo, you know, <laughs> then... Because that's why we use them, right, in a hostel. I go into hostels and I see people looking at their phone and their internal monologue is like, well, no, one's, no one came up and talked to me. And same with The Lonely Planet. Well, I'm reading this because no one came up and talked to me. But they also don't feel like they can intrude on you because you have a Lonely Planet in your face or a phone in your face or whatever. So if we can put these things down and get through that discomfort of like, I'm a weirdo with nothing to do with my hands, and I'm just sitting like with a, a pasted on smile. If you can get through that two difficult minutes, then you can start a conversation with someone. When you say a raw and real experience, what do you mean? What is a raw and real experience of travel? It's such a good question. Because again, it like how you have to like really dance to avoid judgment. Just say what you want. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I will. But but also like when I say like dance to avoid judgment, it's not like I'm afraid of getting canceled or something. What I'm saying is like I want to not think that I'm an asshole afterwards because because all these things are like things that we fail at and succeed at on a daily basis. So like what I think is a raw and, and real experience is um, something that feels like it's connected to humanity, to the act of living, right? Like to the, so, so, you know, being on, I like to be on Instagram. That's my platform of choice. I like Instagram, but it's not, it's not intimately connected with the act of living in the way that, that like the, the living things are dancing, fighting, fucking, you know, all these things, that's living, right? Like surfing, you know, being on the beach, lounging with friends, laughing, those are, that's living. And so I think like anything that can connect us to that. And then if you can have that be part of a cultural experience, right? If you can have that be part of getting to know the way another person operates or another person moves through the planet or another person's prism. Because the real thing that separates us on this earth is our prisms, we're viewing the world through these very distinct prisms and, and it seems insane to us that someone could not think the way we do because it's like, I'm looking out of these eyes and the fact that you think differently seems fucking nuts. And and travel helps us mollify that and, and go like, oh, I get it. There's like completely different ways to think of it. I mean, the most innocuous story I have from it, which is so fun to me, is like, I was in Cambodia I had just come off like a four-day – in Cambodia at that time, this is like 2006. In Cambodia at that time, they, they had – weed was not legal, but you could go to pizza shops and you could say, I want a space pizza. 
<laughs> and they would either say space is space pizza is available tonight or it's not, depending on the, the police activity. And then they would say, like, how far into space do you want to go? And, like, the furthest was supposed to be, like, the moon. It wasn't a great conceptualization of the solar system. <laughs> but they were, like, the moon was the distance. They were high. They and, I re- yeah, I remember I was, like, I want to go past the moon. And I had a horrible, that horrible edibles experience that every single human ever has talked about. But I had it in Cambodia. I also had a horrible one in Israel. I've had a couple on the road. Um, but I had it in Cambodia, and I was just coming off at, like, a four-day horrible, you know, those linger with you. And then you feel paranoid of, like, on the road, it's horrible because you're like, I'm disrespecting someone's culture. I got lost on edibles inside the old city in Jerusalem and ended up at the Wailing Wall as everyone was going to the Wailing Wall in the, at 4 a.m. on a high holy day. And I was walking on edibles against traffic, against 40,000 people just like stumbling out. I've never felt worse in my life. That is actually terrifying. It's horrible. That is terrifying. It's horrible. So this was a different (laughs) edibles experience. I'm finally coming out of it. It was was the worst. And I had gotten tricked into it. I I was single at that time. I was in Israel. And I just, like, I'm a pretty good manifester. I know that sounds like my cheesy hippie shit that you hate, but, like. I don't. I, I like manifesting. I'm, I'm pretty good at, like, singing my world into existence. And I had been, like, there was the holiday, that, the Jewish holiday that's connected to cheese. Shavuot. Shavuot. And I had been, like, I'm going to get invited by this beautiful, she was across the street, this beautiful woman, woman is going to invite me to Shavuot with her family, and I'm going to be like at an Israeli thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I like walk past her, and I like say hi, and sure enough, like we strike up a conversation, and she invites me to Shavuot. I didn't even like drop hints. She was like ready. She was like, She's yeah, like, she was like trying to fuck this American why don't, guy Yeah, why don't tips. you come? Why don't you come? Why don't you bring those frosted tips over to this Shavuot? <laughs> and I get... I get to this party, and there's two things that happen really quickly. Here I am, like me, the the well-intentioned fucking cultural liberal traveler, and I was like, I'm going to learn so much stuff. First thing I figure out is, like, that none of these people are Israeli by birth. They were all Jewish Americans who were coming on their birthright trip and had oh investments. They're all, like, New York bros. No! Stockbrokers. Like, I'm a stockbroker, but this is, like, my second house. The woman was even American. There was no Israeli person at the whole party. Second of all, they had dosed all of the food. With, what? with weed, like all the fucking cheeses and the chocolates. I had been mashing everything because I, I love to indulge in food. And I just thought, like, this is a holiday about eating cheese. I'm going to eat some motherfucking you had no cheese. no idea? No idea. They didn't tell me, which is, like, should be a crime. Like, that should is, be. That's really fucked up. And, uh, and then I, like, stumbled. <laughs> the last thing I remember someone said, they were, like, <laughs> fucking classic New York asshole goes, like, so, so you're a travel writer, huh? Tell me some of the people you've written for. And I had written for like pretty big names. And I like listed them like an asshole. He goes, I haven't heard any of those. And like looked around at everyone like I was like a grifter. And that's like when the weed kicked in. And I got so lost in the old city. And I, I stumbled through. And, and at, as everyone's walking to the whale wall, whaling wall, 50,000, 60,000 people, 30,000, however many. I'm like stumbling past them on edibles. It was a nightmare. Terrifying. I, because I'm also like, you know, like any well-intentioned person, I was like, this is culturally disrespectful. This is horrible. You're a bad person. Eh, you got you got 
dosed by a bunch of fucking New York jerks. Yeah. Um, Wait, so I didn't even get to the story. Sorry. Oh. So in Cambodia, after my four-day bad weed thing, uh, I had made a friend at the hostel because I had been lingering there for four days because I'm trying to get out of this weed coma. <laughs> and I had made a friend at the hostel, and I had been on the road at this point for about six months straight. And I had had a friend who came to visit me from America in Thailand. And the one thing, my biggest comfort food to this day since I was five years old, I was a latchkey kid. And so I was cooking very young. And I would make just rotini with Parmesan cheese and butter. That was it. That's my comfort food. I still eat it way too often, as you could tell. And I, I love it. And so I had him. I hadn't had Parmesan cheese in months and months. And I had him bring over just craft Parmesan. And I, I'm friends with this Cambodian guy at the hostel. And he goes, hey, I want you to try something. It's a food. It's a delicacy I really like. It's like spiders. A deep fried tarantula. And I like try it. Again, like the well-intentioned wannabe woke dude. I was like, yeah, this is really good. I like this spider. I like the spider body. Oh, it's a little more creamy in this part. Oh, there's some nice crunch here. I'm like definitely trying to like give him the benefit of the doubt. So the next night. And, and of course, like, I've just, I haven't gotten in the habit of l eating spiders. It wasn't completely my vibe, but it was a good thing to try. Um, and the next night, I, I'm like, now I'm going to make food for you. And I make him, like, butter noodles and, and craft Parmesan. And he literally spits it out. And he's like, this is, this is repulsive. Um, which is, like, my favorite food. And it just made me realize, like, our prisms are so distinct, right? Human prisms are all so different. And the way we see the world is so unique that that's what travel is attempting to help us understand is like, wow, your your worldview is not the only one. Right. And if we can get that out of travel and, and part of that does require us to have, as I called it, a real human experience by putting down some of the artifice around us, whether it's like, you know, our phones or our books or whatever, then you really have something like that's where the magic is. Right. Um, do that you was such a long rant. No, but, but it was I kind it of was, a winner. No, it was good. It was good. It was deep and very. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna cut the whole thing out. No, you're it, was, be like, it was you. It was so travel writery, very editor, deep, emotional. Delete all of it. All that. Get that Ugh. the fuck out. Go back to the diarrhea stuff. No, that. just very deep, deep thoughts by a, in a window seat on a plane, just yeah. writing in your journal, writing poetry about. I had to do one. I know, was like, now the rest of it's all diarrhea. No, talk. it's good. It's good. You know, I like it. It's good. We are writing some flavor. You know. Um, I just I think it's interesting. Like now, when you travel, are you kind of disgusted by like the like the girls like me, like the girls who are like let's take thirst traps and like you know let's get like cute vacate thirst. Like I literally had a guest come on to talk about getting the perfect thirst traps. It's like, mm -hmm. are you kind of like this isn't it? Like or are you kind of like um it's you know, it's a it's an updated version of what we were doing back then. You wrote in one of your articles about like how it used to be getting that artsy photo of the door frame or of the feed or whatever, and it's like that's what it used to be, and now it's like getting the ass shot at the resort. Like, is it just more of the same updated, or does it kind of gross you out, or you're like, you guys are totally missing the point of what it's supposed to be? I mean, it definitely doesn't. <laughs> does it, dude, there's a bunch of cool butts on Instagram gross me out. It does not. <laughs> um, but no, it, it definitely, like, I don't think it's toxic by nature. I think, you know, if you look at Uproxx Life, we are the most, and I, I say this definitively because I've looked at all of them, we are the most pro-influencer outlet that mm -hmm. there is. 
We do. Why we, is we, that? Because it's good for bra- it's good for no, money. No, no. It's, it's because of me. It's it's because I believe that the condescension that they have faced is insanely out of line. Um, I think that like the idea that they have been condescended to by people <laughs> who do virtually the exact same thing because all of writing is influencing, all of travel writing is certainly influencing. Right. Condé Nast telling you to go to the top 50 resorts in the country is certainly a type of influencing. And the fact that like these people who happen to have cool butts <laughs> have like gotten condescended to by literally everyone else in the travel industry is insane to me. Right. And so we have been so pro-influencer, we're constantly doing guides with them, takeovers with them, and that will, as long as I have any level of power in our travel section, that will always be the way it is because it's, it, it's not by its nature toxic, right? First of all, I mean, it, it, it is by its nature sexual, right? Mm-hmm. So much of influencing. Mm-hmm. I, it would be my personal contention that humans could do with intaking a lot more human sexuality and not as much violence or as much, you know, like I, I would say that. I, I think it can get toxic when it's the male gaze. I think it's great when a female in- influencer seems like she has absolute control over how she wants to show her butt and it's not pandering to to just what a male audience wants, but that's a much bigger conversation. But I think... Um, you know, to, to stand in judgment of influencing the way that people have is literal insanity because your travel article is also influencing right. and your blog in 2006 was also influencing and all these people, and it's become this pejorative. Mm. Here's what I say about pejoratives, right? I think I've called myself a white man like three times in a joking way on this podcast already, but, but generally I think like, even white male, which is like the most accepted pejorative probably in our society. Um, anytime you have like some little fucking pejorative for a group of people, write it down, put it in a box, wait 40 years, 60 years, hand that box to your grand grandkids. No matter what it is, even white male, even fucking influencers are, are you know, losers who just show their butts. Whatever your pejorative is, they're going to look at you like a fucking cornball. Yeah. You're going to be the biggest fucking dork because yeah. you sectioned people off and you insulted them. I don't care if, like, you Think made it's a, so benign. Yeah. It's so benign. Yeah. Like, you make an insult for white people with dreads or fucking, you know, a race or a gender orientation or whatever. The second you do that, you put that in a box and you give it to your grandkids and you're a f- they, they read it 60 years later and they're like, Grandpa was a fucking cringe. You know, yeah, because and by then they're all going to be like fucking robots. Well, Not, but but also no, because like they like having are sex with robots. I mean, like they're all yeah, going to be like, this is my girlfriend, a robot. And we're going to be like, what? Right. But, but also because they're going to like the idea of acceptance is going to continue to broaden yeah. in cool ways. And and so my point being, like, I have no judgment for influencers. Yeah. Now, the one thing that kind of makes me laugh not as a judgmental uh, person and not in my position as a travel editor, but as a person who is learning from you how a joke is structured. Mm -hmm. The one thing that Mm -hmm. does make me laugh is when an influencer couple gets on Instagram and reflects, like does like a very somber reflection on their storytelling 
and their talent and how it all came together. And I don't deny any of those things, but it does. Then that sets themselves up for the question of like, look, if you did not have a high degree of attractiveness privilege and you did not show butts all the time, I don't think you'd be giving these mini TED Talks on how, uh, how you create and what sort of storyteller you are. Wait, I don't understand what you're saying. What are they doing? They're going on Instagram and they're doing You know, what? sometimes people go on Instagram and they're like, well, people ask me how I became a storyteller. and, and Oh, and they like wax poetic. About yeah, like, and it's like, you're no, like, you a storyteller sec. because you have 12 apps. Wait a sec. Like, just, just breathe a little and like maybe understand that attractiveness, privilege, and, and all these other pieces had something to do with it. But beyond that little joke that I apparently didn't structure well because you didn't even understand it. Yeah, it's my favorite uh, kind of joke is when I have to get explained uh, to me. <laughs> you, love, you love those fucking pedantic <laughs> jokes. That's you. I love when you have to write it down uh, and show me the math. Uh, <laughs> but besides that failed joke, like, I, yeah, I have no judgment for it. Now, yeah. here's what I'd say. Just like I said, like, my number one travel key is, like, get out of the tourist network. Similarly, like, take the thirst traps and then go, like, I'm locking my phone away now for the rest of the day. Yeah. Hey, it's much worse than, like, it's actually much worse when you're in a constant dialogue with it. I would much rather travel with someone, even as a travel partner, I would rather travel with someone who goes, like, hey, guys, just so you know, 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock, that's when the sun is setting I'm going to be out on the beach doing all butt shots all the time. You could do whatever the fuck you want. Right. There's going to be so many butt shots happening. That's it. I would rather travel with that person than the person who's in a constant conversation with their phone. Right. Oh, I got to check this one thing. Oh, I do want to take this. Okay, let's do this random thing that is going to go into a void that no one ever cares about. Because right. I didn't take the butt shot time to get the magic hour in the right angle. I agree. Like a little structure um, and boundaries with your phone and with your like influencing I think is good. Because you do want to leave some room for like actual authentic, like just, yeah. uh, just organic, let's see what happens experience and not documenting every second of it but yeah, i agree with you i mean i am i i say get the shot get the get shot because you, when you're old you're gonna want those pictures you're gonna want the photos and it's like it's fun it's fun it's like, fun at the end of the day like we can say all these what higher thought whatever it's just fun it's fun to get the shot it's fun to share it's fun to write captions it's fun to show someone what you saw it's it's just fun sure and it's part of travel now it's part of the experience of traveling it's not just being there and going to the club and eating the food it's also like documumenting it and sharing it with your friends and i think that's fine it's just like there needs to be boundaries there's got to be something more yeah and there's got to be you got to be willing to take it to a deeper more enriching place and also you have to be willing to like you know for me as someone who loves nature you have to be willing to ha to be in a different dialogue your relationship with your phone is a dialogue right it's feeding you information and you're feeding it back data and so it's like you also have to be willing to be in other dialogues like the dialogue that you can be in with nature but you can't be in that if you're distracted right. by this and yeah. so it's like you just have to manage those conversations it was really interesting. I was in Costa Rica for the whole past month. And it was really fascinating for me because I am not at the level of success where I can't be on all the time. I have to be on, like, clicking on Wi-Fi, you know, nine, ten hours a day to, to continue having employment. <laughs> and so 
So it was really interesting for me there because I was in a place that had incredible infrastructure on the Wi-Fi and not in other pieces of the city. So it was so cool. You'd feel like you were really traveling. You're walking down a, a road and it's a dirt road and you're barefoot. You got a surfboard under your arm and, and you're smelling like rotten fruit on the side of the road, which is always such a good, like vibrant smell, that super sweet rotten fruit smell. But I was able to be like clicking away, which is like the least desirable sort of travel, but a pretty fun way to do your job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's a, it's a balance. But anyway, I, I, I think like, yeah, we have to be willing to, to be in other dialogues besides the influencing with the natural world, with the people of the, the places we visit too. Like I've built a lot of my career over, um, you know, trying to form genuine connections with people in the places I visit. Mm -hmm. That's a big aspect to me. I think it's. I think travel can be exploitive if we just go to do stuff or just to see the nature or like one of the. I've you know as a travel writer for 22 years, I've heard so many people, and and as someone who is, I'll say it again, like a white male. So you know, for those of us who are white males out in your audience, like we are a repository for other white males to say they're racist and, and bigoted shit because they think that, like, we're on the team, right? And so it's like I've heard so many terrible things about different places as I travel, and one of the most fascinating pieces of bias that I ever saw was I planned a really big trip for Easter week in Nicaragua. I, it was my big story. I had a stepdaughter at the time, so it was my big story of the year, and I was really focused on it, and it was going to be a big thing, and I had, like, four friends who were coming with me. We're going to surf here, do this. And everyone kept coming at me, and they kept being like, we, we went out to Honduras first, the island of Utiva, which is like an expat run, a really expat-dominated scuba diving island. And all the cool backpackers who would all be, like, influencers now – we're like, you don't want to go to Nicaragua during Easter week. And I was like, oh, really? Why? And they were like, because that's when all the Nicaraguans are off work and traveling through the country. And I was like, that sounds awful. Like, uh, what you're saying sounds awful. The idea of traveling with a bunch of Nicaraguans sounds dope. In Nicaragua. In Nicaragua. Are you saying, because I think that's what you're saying, are you saying you don't, want to go to Nicaragua when the people are relaxed and happy and celebrating and on vacation because it's an inconvenience to you being the only one on the beach because that also sounds weird as fuck and I was so thrilled to go to Nicaragua to be there when the country was shut down to travel at a time when you could go to hostels and you weren't only seeing other Americans or Europeans mm -hmm. or, or people from the Netherlands or Australians or whatever, and you were seeing locals who were traveling, and everyone had the spirit of traveling because they're all going to different beach towns. I was so thrilled for that. And then I got bit by a bat, and I had to, <laughs> I had to get – I had to try to get <coughs> – a different shot for my rabies vaccine at every destination with all the hospitals shut down for Easter week. And it did become a more difficult prospect, but oh God, you've tried. So how many countries have you been to so far? Mm. Somewhere in the sixties. Do you uh, have a, do you, I mean, I hate this question. Oh no, it's, it's like so easy for me. Cause, oh. I ha Cause I have one. You do have a favorite. Oh yeah. What's your favorite? My, I've been saying this for 20 years and, uh, well, I guess 15 years and it, it has stayed the same. Madagascar. Really? And what I say to people always is like, get to fucking Madagascar 
before and I hate to be this guy of like but before someone fucks it up. Yeah, no, I mean whether it's they real. they fuck it up by putting a bunch of factories there or whether they fuck it up by finding um you know coltan that powers our cell phones there or whether they fuck it up whatever. Um and it's it's for the Malagasy people to say what fucked up means and doesn't mean, you know, they've done a great job with preserving their biosphere. But like that is the most special place on this planet that I have ever been. Why? What what makes it so special? That's cool. That's a cool insider. I've never been there. So thank you so much for sending yeah. me there through Uproxx. I so appreciate that. I mean, thank they you. never offer press trips, but I'll give you a secret. It's like follow Malagasy Tourism on Twitter, and then you can connect with them there, and they'll they'll host you. But um, Madagascar is uh, first of all, it was a it was a French colony, which is all colonization is is shitty. But leaves it with some pretty cool architecture and, and old, fa- food old fashioned <laughs> old fashioned bikes and shit. Like there is some cool cobblestones yeah. because of it. Um, but see, so it's got this like French architecture in the in the center of the country and Antenna Nerivo, and then you go out and it is really truly wild raw jungle. And I'm also uh, this is super dorky, but but true. I'm also a pirate historian. And there's a, a wild pirate history of Madagascar. There's a whole race of people in Madagascar who are – their race is is mixed race, but, but it comes from being the descendant of British pirates and African locals. And it's their whole – there were so, so many pirates who were coming to this island to have sex – and and leaving children behind that they're like it's a it's a, a race of people in Madagascar. That's so interesting. Um, but it's just a fascinating place. I'm also like really really keen on vanilla, and 99% of the world's vanilla grows in Madagascar, and and that's a fascinating scene. I, I went up to the vanilla plantations when I was there, and uh, that at that time the city where all the vanilla in the whole world was grown was landlocked, not by by having water on any side, but because there were no roads. But there was so much money coming in for vanilla that you would go into the one little town that had like four roads and you would see Ferraris and Lamborghinis and all these things that had been boated in and they would be driving in circles. There was like, you know, three miles of roads and the car would just be looping and looping around and that's all that they could do with their $200,000 sports cars because they had this... um, this vanilla money it was just kind of a funny moment but that's so cool all right but as far as as just i hate to do this thing of like because because you don't know how it is formed right of like why people are nice to you and are they being fake and are they being anytime like uh, a travel writer says like oh these are the nicest people on earth i always like my hackles go up i'm like oh this is gonna go sideways like it's gonna become this pandering thing of like they have nothing but they're nice so that's a long-term justified excuse to not support their culture financially or whatever like it just always weirds me out but i'll tell you that in my personal experience with a limited sample size i have never met nicer humans than i consistently met in in madagascar that's so interesting the food is fucking amazing okay cool there's a cow called a zebu <laughs> you can google this no i know but it's the got look on a your face. giant people can't see with the look on your face you're like in it you like love madagascar. i love madagascar a cow has a giant hump like a camel and it's got a big hump on its neck and the meat tastes incredibly iron rich it tastes like it tastes like it was regular meat that was then soaked in blood 
and it's just like so good. All the food there is incredible. It's a special place. That's so cool. It's a special place. Where are you going next? Next, I really it's have a nightmare right now. Like, yeah. are you traveling? Right, you were just in Costa Rica, but you are you experiencing what everybody else is experiencing with like how incra- how crazy it is to travel? No, because right? no, because I was raised in my era. So it's like you're just like whatevs. Like in my era, and this like this is the first time because I'm one of those obnoxious people who likes to present as eternally young or whatever. But this is the first time where I've really like codified and define myself ever publicly your podcast as being a little bit older and and from a different era but like my plane tickets that I had when I did my like 14 month round the world trip they were like hop on hop hop off standby tickets that this pre 911 like well my first trip was pre 911 my next one was 2007 but it was still a hop on hop off standby you're waiting in the airport I mean, I've spent four days circling airports before, and I've I had a car, in yeah. it, you know, get stranded in the middle of the Rovuma River in between Mozambique and and Tanzania, and had to just wait it out, as the car was stranded by the tide. And so it's like, yeah, you You're just like have a different approach to like uh, being inconvenienced. You, you calling yourself a white man over and over and over again. The only time. I'm reminded of like what it means to be a white man when it when it comes to traveling mm-hmm. more d- besides all the like you know colonial sure, stuff. Sure, sure. It's just like when I hear these stories, I think as a woman, I just it would never go that way. Yeah, it yeah. would be completely different. And yeah. like that's the thing is like a lot of the like older travel writers when they like they're they're dudes who like tell these stories of like yeah I did mm-hmm. this and it's mm-hmm. like yeah you could do that because like you were not going to get sexually assaulted right. on the side of the road or something. And not to, like, bum everybody nope. out, but it's, like, true. It's, like, you know, and, like, even me, who I've, I've traveled a lot on my own and I've lived abroad on my own and i you know, done – people are always, like, you alone as a girl. And I'm, you know, and I'm, like, you know, and sometimes they were right. Like, I shouldn't have done that, you know, or, like, I shouldn't have gone by myself or, like, I should have been more responsible because it's, like, it just isn't the same for us. Which is annoying because I would love to do a lot of those raw, cool, mm-hmm. vagabond vibes that you can do or you have done, but it just like isn't viable to do as a woman when you, alone. You just yeah. can't get stuck on the side of the road in this like random place by yourself. You're like literally, I'm gonna get yeah. attacked yeah. or kidnapped or sex trafficked or whatever. And so like that's the only time where I'm like, you have. It's definitely a difference. Like yeah. I don't think I. Would have been able to do a lot of the things you no. did without a guy with me. No, and 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 you that know. solo vibe of like getting lost in the forest, like it just that's something that's really cool. But like I'd probably have to do that with like a guy on my arm, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, that's it. and and no, but but let me tell you, like that is such an honest and real and deserved critique. And I know you're not saying it technically as a critique, but at the beginning of my career, it was a critique that someone had to make to me. Because for me, you know, it, it was weird. I'm really into neural flexibility um, and the idea of keeping your brain limber. Okay, Elon. And so, right. <laughs> and so, like, most people get more rigid as they get older. But I was a little more rigid and sanctimonious as a 25-year-old. And, like, I came back from traveling and I was so much more radical than I've ever said here. You know, I would travel for months at a time and uh, with no agenda and no, I would just leave the country. I had a a thing here teaching acting at a preschool and they would have me whenever I came back. So I'd leave for three, four months at a time and bum around, completely bum around and sleep on beaches and do the whole thing as raw as I could. 
and then come back. And, and I, I thought this was the only way to travel. And here I was, a travel writer with a platform in glossy magazines and the proto-internet and the first big blogs and boots and all, which was like the ultimate vagabond blog at that in 2005. I had all this platform, and I was using my travel philosophy as the only way until a, a woman came up to me and was like, you idiot. <laughs> like, you're so blind to this whole lane of the fact that this – is not even available for a lot of people who don't look and identify like you. I'm also six two, yeah. you know, like yeah, you're like and a big I'm a dude. big yeah. fella, yeah. you know, and I and, and I and you're like 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 athletic, so you can like you're not like a big like oaf who can't protect himself. You're right. like you can handle, yeah. And it, no it, one's gonna really fuck with you. It's crazy to me that how blind I was to that, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I was so I had to be told that not everyone could do that that people of different races couldn't do that in certain places. You know, the idea of backpacking in Kentucky and, and then hitchhiking and turning it into hitchhiking. You know, I was hitchhiking in Kentucky once, and I remember telling this story and someone being like, me thinking this was going to be the coolest story. Like, I'm, like a flex. I'm yeah. Like, yeah, I'm like that guy who, who, when I was backpacking heavily, like liked to tell a story that everyone would go like, oh, that's the backpacker king. Like, that's who we defer to while we're all here. Mm-hmm. And anyone else who's going to be the backpacker king while we're here is going to have to, like, move to a different hostel because that guy's got it. Because I'd tell, like, that one story. And I remember, like, telling this story about being in Kentucky and hitchhiking and just walking for miles and miles and miles. I was going to Gethsemane, which is the Catholic version of Buddhists, essentially. You have a monastery in Kentucky where they stay completely silent. And I was going there. I know it sounds hard. You're already looking at how much tape I'm burning through on your podcast. But I was going to do a silent retreat there as a 19-year-old. <laughs> and I hate you. I'm, like, hitchhiking <laughs> and, like, trying to get a ride and this guy like jerks his car over he's got two shotguns in the gun racks you know he's got double guns get in the car and we drive he drives me he's he demands like where are you going why do you believe that you have the right to just come out here on our roads and stick your thumb out he like really was like investigating something and trying to like put me through my paces and I like I'm 19 years old I'm traveling the world I'm reading Jonathan Livingston Siegel and I'm like because like the world is meant to be explored and loved and the spirit in the world wants my happiness all this shit like fucking and (laughs) and he takes me all the way to my destination two and a half hours and then he gives me all the money in his wallet $19 but still gives it all to me and I remember telling that story and telling it like these guys are going to be like, this is the travel. Because I thought the story was about like the vibes that I was presenting as a traveler. Oh, my God. The energy that I was passing out. And I remember like someone looking at me and being like, I couldn't do that. That's privilege. And, and me fucking finally getting it and being like, oh, God. <laughs> like I think <laughs> – Like what I a think, face palm I, moment. Yeah, like I think 90% of my cool I'm a renegade travel stories are also loaded up with some degree of privilege, right? Yeah, but whatever. What you, yeah, I mean, I'm still going to do them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to. Yeah, what are you we going to do? Like, what are like, you not going to do? Yeah, I, yeah, you have to By do the it. way, you don't get rewarded for not, I, you know, I, I didn't You just grow. miss out then. 
Right. Like, yeah. I didn't grow up with any sense of wealth. I didn't grow up wealthy at all. And, and you know, I've had wealth friends who grew up with wealth be like, what do I do about this? I, I was like, the first thing you do is don't make it look so fucking miserable to have inherited wealth. Because it seems pretty dope from my angle. I'm 42 years old. I'm still in college debt. I'm still in undergrad debt. So just chill on, like, making it seem so miserable. There's no wokeness award for, for acting like your privilege causes mi- misery. So, yeah, I'll still travel the way I want. Yeah. <laughs> but at least now I can recognize that, that there's privilege in it. Sure. That's fair. That's a good way of putting it. I mean, where did all this that come from then? Like, if did you, didn't gr- did you grow up traveling? Not in this way. No. I mean, we really never left Oregon. We, were, we would vacation around Oregon. We went – we road tripped to Disneyland once. Are you once. from Portland? I'm from Portland, yeah. Oh. Does that explain so much? My sweet uh. God. <laughs> that explains so much. I can't believe I don't even – I didn't even know you are from Portland. Mm. How, I've known you for so many years, and I did not know you are from Portland. From Portland, you bummed around on Oregon, and then at – and then at 19, you dropped out and started traveling? I was at the University of San Diego, and I dropped out and started traveling the world, yeah. What, what, what was that? What was that? Like, wh- ha- not everybody decides to drop out and then go travel, especially no. if they didn't grow up with traveling. Well, I, I, Is I it because you didn't grow up with traveling? You're no, like, I, I want to go? I was out of money. And uh, do you know, have you ever heard of Neil Cassidy? Should I have? Kind of. No, I mean, as a travel podcaster, probably. So I'm going to tell you now. Yeah, I know who that is. So Neil Cassidy, Neil Cassidy, um, I have been constantly through my life, and, and I'll write this book eventually, Chasing Neil Cassidy. And Neil Cassidy inspired the most famous travel book ever, which is On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Oh, yeah. The, the main I know, character. On the road. Yeah, so Sa- Sal Moriarty in, in On the Road is a direct amalgam of Jack Kerouac's best friend, Neil Cassidy. Okay. And Kerouac had been trying to write this book and make this book work for months um, and couldn't get it to work years and years, not months, years. And finally, Neil Cassidy writes him like a handwritten letter from a Greyhound bathroom about uh, fingering a girl on the Greyhound. (laughs) And the energy and the propulsion of how it was written unlocked on the road for Jack Kerouac, and, and that's when he wrote it in a 72-hour stretch. People always say, like, he wrote On the Road in 72 hours. He had written it four other times, and it wasn't working, and then Neil Cassidy sent him this letter. Neil Cassidy also inspired Howl by Allen Ginsberg. Okay. He inspired seven other books, Chasing uh, uh, Visions of Cody about Cody Pomeroy. He, ins- he inspired, like, seven books in the Beat Generation, and then he disappears. And then he resurfaces in the psychedelic generation as the driver of Ken Kesey's bus further, which is uh, this famous bus that the author Ken Kesey took. He filled it up with acid. They crossed the country, and they gave everyone acid the whole way. And the driver of that bus is Neil Cassidy, who had been the patron saint of, of that generation. He's just a wild man. And then he inspires a whole new set of books from the psychedelic generation. And Neil Cassidy is writing about him. And the Grateful Dead write a song about him. Cowboy Neil at the wheel on the road to Neverland. That's Neil Cassidy. He, he has inspired more works of art than just about anyone but Jesus on this planet. And it, the only reason why is because he is so fucking brimming with life. He is full up to the fucking gills with life. And he, he called himself a writer, but he never wrote anything of any merit. 
but he was so full of life that he inspired these incredible howl is looked at as as the poem of a century of a uh, of the poem that unlocked queerness and homosexuality into the mainstream forever and it is about Allen Ginsberg being in love with Neil Cassidy um and and he just like he was he was that guy he was so alive and i think that i was reading those books and i was reading those stories and i was like if you want to fucking be alive, you got to get out there and mix it up. And I was out of money, and I went into the school newspaper, and I was like, hey, I dropped out, so I don't go here anymore. But I want to travel around the country, and if I do that, will you guys publish something from me every week? And they said, yes. And I published this column, and it was the most heavy-handed, holier-than-thou. It was the worst fucking writing on the planet Earth. Because rather than telling any stories, I was writing little mini TED Talk, pedantic fucking speeches about how we all need to be living our lives. Four women who had crushes on me liked it, and everyone else was like, this dude is insufferable. (laughs) But it taught me how to write. It taught me how to see readers react to my work. And it taught me how to travel the world. And, and because of that, it made my whole life. Dropping out of college made me every, everything that I am, which is insufferable to you. Um, oh, please, I love But you. on a path that I love. So, yeah, that's the story. Amazing. I feel like I, that's a great ending. I okay. love that. Um, you'll be back. I love it. I, I, I've, never, it for any, I've never expressed myself as well verbally as I did over the past hour. <laughs> so if it does horribly, if you're like, wow, this, this guy still did badly, then you'll know that I can't get any better than that. The next episode I do with you will be worse. I think you were great. This was great. And I really do appreciate you. I think well, you are a special boy. With the frosted tips. Yeah. The next book you write, I want it to be called. Like frosted tips. Special boy with the frosted tips. I like that. Like yeah. Got a little guidebook type of thought. Yeah. Just like how to be travel, cool travel as a traveler when you're from a special boy with frosted tips. From a special boy with frosted tips. I love that. I love you, Steve. No, and, and I really do. I really love you. I really you have a special place in my heart and it's brimming with spikes, but it is a special place well, in my heart. I will tell you one thing. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing for you before we go, which is like uh, you know, because People's Party, the, the podcast that I work on, is very much about giving people their flowers while they're here. And I love that concept. And, and you know, I think it's – I there's parts of you that I think I know just because I'm in a similar field. And I think that it's easy for us to go, like, well, why, why are things working out for us? Like, I do that every night. Like, why is shit working out right now? And, and is this all going to turn sideways? And I just want you to know, like, that talent that I saw on Twitter when I saw some random tweet, I have, I have not only seen that continue, but I've also seen it blossom. I've seen it evolve. I think you're doing incredible work. I really think you are incredibly talented. But also, you know, talented is such a cheap word. I think there's a lot of talent out there. I think you're incredibly skilled, which is more difficult. Um, and I appreciate you all those months ago teaching me what comedy was. <laughs> Where can we find you, Steve? First of all, you can find me on Uproxx Life. 
uprocks-life. I, I run and write for the travel food and, and drink section and weed and sex and all the fun stuff. Um, second of all, you can. I'm the showrunner for People's Party with Talib Kweli and Fresh Pair with Just Blaze. If you're into hip-hop or sneakers, check out those shows. Third of all, uh, we I write books for children. If you have children or no children or understand that there's a concept of like when people have sex, sometimes it creates children and then like they're out there somewhere. Um, get those books, Stephen Bramucci. They are they're fun and um, much hopefully much funnier than I was tonight. But get those. Very creative. They're very very creative. Yeah. So I, I write children's books. I got I got a couple new ones coming out that are infused with some of the themes that we're talking about. And cool. yeah, that's that's me. Thank you so much for coming on the pod, even though you're an hour and a half late. I know, I suck. I still it's have to check into a hotel at some point tonight. It's almost midnight. I love it. There's only Thank one person you. on this planet that I would pod up until midnight I know. for, and it's you, Stephen Bermooch. Um, all right, follow Steve. Add him. Tell him. He's a pretty boy with frosted tips. Yeah, tell me what you think. We'll see you next week on Globe Thotting with Chelsea Frank. Bye.